0: Welcome back to this series of daily devotionals in the book of 2 Samuel. Uh, We're in the second half of the book, continuing the series that Ness Hughes began a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Stuart Holman here, enjoying a few days away on the beautiful Mid-North Coast, uh, enjoying God's creation, uh, enjoying some time to reflect on God's word in 2 Samuel. After the wonderful highs of David's early years on the throne of a united Israel, are recorded for us in chapters 1 to 10 of 2 Samuel. In chapters 11 and 12, we saw the tragic turning point of David's reign and, in fact, of his life. Although the recipient of some of the greatest promises ever given to mankind assured that God would establish one of his offspring as the ruler over God's kingdom forever. God's kingdom, which spanned not just the nation of Israel, and not just the nations of the world, but the entire cosmos. Despite God's commitment to David and to his dynasty, David chose to become an adulterer and a murderer. God, of course, for his part, remained true to his word. He did not reject David, but he led him to humble repentance. Nor did God reject David's household. However. This did not mean that there would not be any consequences for David's sin. As part of the prophet Nathan's message from God, David was told back in chapter 12. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. That's Bathsheba. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity on you. So the remainder of this book of 2 Samuel shows this word being played out. God remains faithful to David. And David repeatedly turns to God and puts his faith in him through thick and thin. And perhaps David's faithfulness to God throughout his life is all the more inspiring for this dark background of the Bathsheba incident and all that God said in response. So on the back of the promise of a Davidic dynasty in 2 Samuel 7, attention naturally turns to the question of who? Who will be this greater son of David? Upon whom will the crown rest? Which of David's sons will be his successor? The book of 1 Chronicles lists the oldest of David's sons in this way. These were the sons of David, born to him in Hebron. The firstborn was Amnon, the son of Anahom of Jezreel. The second, Daniel, the son of Abigail of Carmel. The third, Absalom, the son of Ma'akar, daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur. So in the way of royal dynasties, attention would now quickly turn, first of all, to the eldest son, Amnon, and then perhaps to Daniel, and and then Absalom, which is why the narrative of 2 Samuel turns first of all to Amnon in chapters 13 and 14, our, our text for today. In the course of time, Amnon, son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, son of David. Amnon became so obsessed with his sister Tamar that he made himself ill. She was a virgin and it seemed impossible for him to do anything to her. Now, Amnon had an adviser named Jonadab, son of Shimei, David's brother. Jonadab was a very shrewd man. He asked Amnon, Why do you, the king's son, look so haggard morning after morning? Why won't you tell me? Amnon said to him, I'm in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Go to bed and pretend to be ill, Jonadab said. When your father comes to see you, say to him, I would like my sister Tamar to come and give me something to eat. Let her prepare the food in my sight so I may watch her and then eat it from her hand. Of course, such a setup only end badly for Tamar as it does, culminating in the rape of Tamar by her half-brother Amnon. The way the narrative is told with the details of the planning and then the repetition of all the details as this sorry story unfolds it's a tragic train crash in slow motion. King David himself is dragged into it as Amnon manipulates David into ordering Tamar to go to him. It's an outrageous series of events, which the narrator implicitly condemns by referring to Tamar six times in the passage as Amnon's sister. And just for good measure, five more times, Amnon is referred to as Tamar's brother. Now, half-brother, half-sister, but brother-sister. Not only is rape condemned by the law of Moses, so also is incest in Leviticus 18 verses 6 and 9. So the whole setup for this rape was terrible, but every bit as bad was Tamar's treatment after her rape. Her honor as a royal princess is lost, and she's told to be silent while being hidden away in her brother Absalom's house. Now we're told King David is furious... But that's all. His inaction is culpable. Amnon's crime is left unpunished by David, who knows all about it. This is further evidence of the imperfections and failures of King David, although he is still God's anointed. But the focus of the narrative here has clearly moved on to this issue of succession. Is Amnon, the heir apparent, untouchable? In the absence of any sanction from the king, Absalom takes it upon himself to avenge the crime against his sister Tamar. Now if revenge is a dish best served cold, Absalom waits two years. By which time it's clear David will not do justice for Tamar in relation to Amnon. So Absalom plans and carries out the murder of Amnon on the pretense of celebrating his shearing of the sheep. Uh, Once again David has been manipulated into a share of the responsibility by actually ordering Amnon to go with Absalom to this gathering planned. And just as David has ordered Tamar to go to Amnon. So David involved in both of these setups. Now, whether or not Absalom's action is justified, the text really just remains silent on the point. But what we do observe is that God's word to David through the prophet Nathan is coming about. The sword will indeed never leave his household. Conflict and intrigue only as Absalom, third in line for the throne, murders the first in line for the throne. Very soon, calamity will also fall upon David himself. Immediately, the assassination is complete. Absalom flees for safety away from Jerusalem. Uh, in uh, chapter 13, verse 37, we, we read, Absalom fled and went to Talmai, son of Emihad the king of Geshur. Uh, but King David mourned many days for his son. After Absalom fled and went to Geshur, he stayed there for three years. And King David longed to go to Absalom, for he was consoled concerning Amnon's death text doesn't tell us anything more about Daniel. He was next in line as David's successor now that Amnon has been killed. But one might imagine poor old Daniel starting to look over his shoulder a little nervously. What might Absalom do next if he has designs on the throne of David? We don't really know. What is clear, however, is that David is not only too weak to do justice in relation to Absalom but that he has no stomach for it. He longs for Absalom. He's he's moved on from Amnon and he loves Absalom. Surely he will now be David's successor, the one who will inherit the promise of an eternal kingdom, ruling on God's behalf and enjoying his favour forever. As Christians, reading the backstory to the Lord Jesus Christ here in this narrative of the Kings, the one whom we know now to be the recipient and the fulfillment indeed of all of these promises, it's important that we just don't read this text as a a mere moral tale. We shouldn't read this text only moralistically, okay? Yes, there are all kinds of evil of culpable human behavior here and moral failure. And as we'll see, there is also God's grace and mercy But the big narrative here is the purpose of God to bring his rule to his people. God is determined to bless his people in his place with his rule. And so this narrative in all of its dimensions shows the Christian that the rule of God is so far above and beyond the usual patterns of human failure and the abuse of power and the corruption of character through privilege and pride. God's anointed is so much better than even David or his natural offspring. He is incorruptible. He does justice and righteousness. He is trustworthy. Unlike human governments, God's rule is good and it is for our good. And it is good that we praise him for that now. Please take this opportunity to do that in prayer.